0: Hi, my name is Mark Driscoll, and I wanted to make you aware of The Restless Podcast, and this is Restless. Welcome back to Restless, and for those of you just joining us, we are a post-mortem on the young, restless, and reformed. I am your host of the mostest, Matt Klein. I am joined by Pastor Nocap, Michael Bowman himself, and he is here with us today. How are you doing, Pastor Michael?
1: I'm doing well with that introduction. Um, I don't even know what that means, if I'm going to be totally honest. Uh, I know that the kids are saying it these days, so uh, it must be good, I guess.
0: It is. This is why people join the show for for deep references. Even Pastor Michael doesn't get sometimes when we start, but we have important business. We're not going to explain modern slang. We are headed back to the rise and fall of mars hill content well for our show it is it is a deep well and
1: it is a very deep well but
0: we are not alone we are joined this week by one of the hosts from the guilt grace gratitude podcast peter bell peter welcome to restless thank
2: you yeah it's good to be on here nice to nice to see you guys face to face instead of just on a on my, my earphones. Is that's it
1: disappointing or, I mean, I always just wonder that was what people next, think. That
2: was the next thing. It was, it was, this is rough. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, it's a, it's all good. Yeah. It's, it's nice to be on. Well, well, Peter, uh, tell, tell the restless listener, if they don't know about your show, uh, about your, about the guilt, grace, gratitude podcast and, and, and all that you've been doing for a long time.
2: Yeah, so we've, yeah, we've had it for a little bit over a year. Uh, me and my co-host, Nick Fullweiler, uh, he might join on later on to the show, but we, our, uh, our tagline motto, if you want to call it, is bridge the gap to Christian Reformed Theology. So we take you from hopefully nothing to at least a little bit of something, an understanding of Reformed Theology from a Reformed Perspective. Um, and using big words, and we're trying to define those. Bring on experts who who know some of these things, and hopefully the the goal is to have you have have you have categories that you can use, uh, understand, be part of a church, be connected. That's huge for us, as being part of a a, a local church um, that preaches, that teaches, that sings
0: these things as well. So that's that's what we do. Great. Well, we recommend you go check it out, and. I it's always great when you have another podcast host on the show because they are excellent at segues because today we are talking about episode two of the rise and fall of Marcel, which is all about the church what is the church what should the church be like do we get to have say in what that's like <coughs> um, and the episode was called boomers the big sort and really really big churches and so uh, i'm excited as uh, our listeners know I am reacting to these shows live. I don't know what's coming next. Pastor Michael, fortunately, has been to the future of the episodes. He comes with that seasoned wisdom from episode seven or whatever they're on now. Um, Peter, tell us if you've been following the show, what you think about it, if you have.
2: Yeah, I've, I've actually been following it pretty closely. Um, so I was I was an intern at their Huntington Beach campus for a little bit over a year um and so i i knew mark driscoll personally i knew their campus pastors pretty much everybody that you hear about on this show i have a personal story about um so yeah it's it's weird listening to it and reliving some stuff good and bad um some of the background so yeah I've, i'm following it it's fun it's weird but following it, it-
0: and so our listeners know we do plan on uh, yeah having a show where where we interview Peter just about some of the stories, some of his background uh, with those things because uh, we are committed to getting the interviews Christianity today cannot here on here on Restless. So I'm hard to get to. I know, I know. So overall what what's kind of your impression of the show from someone who had, you know you were in the front row, you had front seats to, <laughs> Uh, the good and the bad that's happened.
2: Yeah, I think I think they do. In terms of those who they interview, they're pretty selective on who they interview. They're interviewing the top guys, a lot of the big pastors who, who are there, Portland. Um, Tim Smith was really close to Driscoll from the little that I knew about him. And we had some lunches together. Um, they've interviewed some higher profile members. And so in terms of those who they've interviewed, I, I think it's been, Decent, but it definitely comes from a, a, a certain perspective on what the church is, what the church is supposed to be, uh, and takes that as the judgment standard versus wh- where I think they should be taking the judgment standard for. But yeah, overall, it's 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 almost like it's almost like a it's like a nostalgic for those who were part of Mars Hill before, where it's hey, let's let's go back through all the stuff that was really cool about Mars Hill. But really show you the
0: nitty gritty about this, and maybe maybe you won't like it as much when you hear it again. Right, right. They've got the music. They've got the vibes. Yeah. They've got they've got the people. Yeah,
2: yeah. King's Kaleidoscope was massive when we were there. I, I mean, I knew the guys, Citizens Zach Bolin from Citizens. So it's yeah, it's just it's just it's hard to describe. It's like going back to high school after twenty years, and you're like, I I was there. I was there. I went to that classroom. I had that professor. I had that teacher. I knew this person. So it's weird.
1: Yeah, it's a really great analogy uh, because when you do that and you go back to your school, there's always like that feeling of both like, oh, yeah. Oh, cool. It's that. And then it's also like, oh, man, like, oh, I remember (laughs) what happened there. Oh, I don't even want to talk about this class or, you know, what have you.
0: Yeah. 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 That's the weird part. Yep. That's great. Let's, let's get into the episode because I want to make sure we give Peter time to talk to us about, you know, maybe some of the assumptions that are they bring to what the church is and some of the, some of the standards that we actually should be judging the church by and, and obeying in the church. Because I think that is what um, those of us who follow Driscoll from a distance, those of us who were in kind of this whole new Calvinist movement, I think that's what we need to be thinking about today. What kinds of assumptions have we still carried over and what, where, how should we be questioning them? And so we're excited uh, for Peter to be here with us to give us um, both his perspective as someone from the inside, but also someone who thinks a lot about the church uh, that you can tell if you go to their podcast feed. So we recommend yeah. it. All right, guys. Well, let me start. Because this episode is pretty light on Driscoll, this is kind of a background of what the megachurch was, how that led into it. We're going to have a more free-flowing conversation about the church, megachurch, and, and what that means. And so we'll ha- we have clips, but I want to start with what I think kind of the thesis of this episode was. What was the, what was the point Cosper was trying to make? And here's what I, I think the, the, the point of this episode was, and Michael and, and Peter, feel free to edit it or tell me if you think it's, it's close or not. Mars Hill on the surface was a reaction against the seeker-driven megachurch, but was actually really a continuation and evu- evolution of it. And while it has been effective at growing churches, it is still liable to promoting charismatic personalities and abilities over character i think that was the point of the episode what do you guys think about
1: yeah it's good uh you um even hit um the line that they repeated several times the idea of of you know having somebody with charisma uh elevated before their character was ready um that shows itself multiple times and uh you definitely do get the sense that this this was even through personal connection that driscoll had with others uh you know this was uh you know kind of Older boomer mega church pastors shepherding the next gen.
2: Yeah, he was the episode kind of touched on it. it. Was it was the church for the anti church? It Got was nuts. those who don't want to go to church. This is the church for you, which sounds like they're trying to go against emerging church, but is really using emerging church against emerging church. Um, uh, and that's, that's really what it felt like inside is this the church. If you don't want to go to church, this is where you go.
0: And we're going to, we're definitely going to come back to that because I do think this is a great example of one of those assumptions we have to question is, is church for people who don't want to go to church or is church for the unchurched? Is that a good idea? Right. Mm-hmm. Cause I think that sounds at least on the surface, super evangelistic and super great, but, yeah. um, but let's, let's play a clip of that where they start. And it's gonna be a clip from uh, a familiar face, but I think, um, especially given that this is the church, uh, it was supposed to be a reaction against Boomer Church. The person they play at the beginning is a real a a real supply, a surprise. So let's play these two clips.
3: Hello everybody, I'm Rick Warren. I'm the author of The Purpose Driven Life, and for the past 35 years, the founding pastor of Saddleback Church here in Southern California, now with campuses around the world. It's a real honor uh, to be asked to speak to all of you and all of the Mars Hill campuses in your last weekend together before you each launch out to form independent uh, congregations that God is gonna use in the future. Sometimes everything seems to go wrong or fall apart all at once. Have you noticed this? You know, a while back I had a day like that first, I had to stay up all night to meet some deadlines. So I fixed myself at breakfast, blending a protein shake in in the blender, but I left the top off and the top spread out all over me and I got covered with blended uh, protein shake. And then I got in the car and I had to go up to Los Angeles. While the traffic was completely stopped, I looked into my rearview mirror and I saw a driver who was texting, coming at me at about 30 miles an hour. And I kept going, he's gonna hit me, he's gonna hit me, he's gonna hit me, he hit me. And and then uh, finally, while I was waiting for a highway patrol to come and talk about the accident, I turned on talk radio and some guy was screaming that he wished that Rick Warren was dead. (laughs) So while I was waiting in the hospital for a CT scan of my concussion, I thought, you know, in one day I've been overextended, blended, rear-ended, and offended. (laughs) Now some of you may feel like that. After all the changes, and all the chaos, and all the conflict, and all the criticisms that Mars Hill Church family went through this past year. All right, so
0: that is the the America's pastor, I guess, Rick Warren. Um, and here's what struck me about this, man. I, I I don't. I am. I do not jive with Rick Warren's style, just at all. Just any <laughs> of the, any of any of that, but. But what I realized is, one, I mean, this is, right, he starts here because, right, Cosper's point is that this is the last sermon at Mars Hill is preached by the most seeker-driven person ever, right? And he's showing that this is the same. And But here's what I, I realized while I was listening to it as Michael and I have reacted to a number of Driscoll sermons. Driscoll sermons are... Rick Warren's sermons just in a different style right they still kind of go all over they kind of are all like me telling stories but they are just for a very different audience and I don't like I didn't like Rick Warren's and I did like Driscoll's and it was over style and I just had this realization as as Rick Warren tells this Mm -hmm. in my mind the most like banal Winsome story. <laughs> mm. you know and but it's the kind of thing Driscoll would totally do. but it would just be more angry and more mm. in your face and I would have probably laughed. Mm. but anyway, so I just I just found it really striking that we start with Rick Warren at the beginning of the episode. What do you guys think?
2: Yeah, maybe I can give some helpful context for this too, is the church disbanded right after a summer series. But right around a summer series that was, um, what was it called? The best best sermons ever, or best topic? I forget. I forget the name of the sermons. Best sermons ever. You're right. Yeah, That's best sermons, sermons ever. ever. And so they they were going through some of this stuff, and then I th- I think Rick Warren was part of them. Um, and so it was after this, but it was all it was. It's odd hearing it now because it it makes it makes Mars Hill and Driscoll feel the victim, and not the victimizer right right they you're made, going out
0: to start your own churches now yeah
2: it was they They were the ones are all all of this and that's i mean it accords with what and we can go over this obviously later on but it, it accords with our internal meetings it accords exactly with what our internal meetings and you flip the narrative on some of these mm-hmm. things you are reactive as opposed to proactive mm-hmm. And know these things happen to us not we were the perpetrators of a lot of what was happening to us, if that makes sense. Yeah. Peter,
1: was this, uh, did did people know at this point that the churches were going to disband and become uh, individual churches? Or was this like, hey, Rick Warren just says it, and it's like, I guess it's happening now. Um, it was, I think it was a conversation later on. I left,
2: oh, I, I left in October of 2014. And this would have been, they disbanded December 31st of 2014. And so I remember there being rumors about it, but if it was anything like what they did during the summer, it would have hit them harder than you think it did, where they were like, I'm really hoping that this stays. And every week a new news report would come out. And then the church would have this little internal meeting between all the leaders and the members of the, of the church and say, okay, this is the last one that comes out. I promise nothing else is coming out after this. And so my guess, because I wasn't there, but my guess is um, when they heard it from him, it was probably the first time they heard it.
1: Wow. Yeah. I mean, honestly, it, it just sounds that way to me, the way that uh, Warren puts a spin on it. Just know, I feel like I've heard enough of the very kind of, you know, boomer smooth talking seeker sensitive type uh, that it sounded to me like the passive aggressive way of saying it's all over at least as a you know uh, one large thing man I sure hope it doesn't all just fall apart you know the way that he words it it you know and he kind of has a little little almost laugh behind it it just sounded like that yeah. to me so
2: he's got a great way with words and, and so does Driscoll And the, the joke quote unquote the legend around Driscoll well, I mean he, he didn't have pastoral training until like 15 years into the ministry or 10 years into the ministry. But the joke was he learned how to preach from TEDx speakers and comedians. Right. So it makes it makes sense that Warren just crafted yeah. words in such a way. Yeah. And that's what Driscoll did.
0: And that's why you bring in Rick Warren to make this announcement, right? Because yeah. of how of how he can communicate and right, because he is kind of the like reassuring granddaddy in the mega church world right like okay it's it's gonna be okay purpose driven life guys here telling me it's all right you know we're okay and, yep. yeah. and he had a hard day he had a hard day a few you know a few weeks ago <laughs> yeah yeah that's in
2: saddleback at least in orange county saddlebacks the church you go to if you don't belong to a church you don't know where to go to a church it's, it's the reassuring church where at least you know that people believe something about Jesus. You're not hmm. terribly really sure what they believe, but you know they believe something about Jesus. Yeah. You're you're sure of that because of who Rick Warren is, the books that he's written. So he's he's like that reassuring presence in Orange County.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So I think overall this episode did a did a good job laying out the basic, the kind of background history of the mega church, kind of the rise of the mega church. I think for the listeners who listen to Pastor Michael and I, we use the term Big Eva uh, a good amount. And I think for you, for those people, if you're kind of like, what are you guys talking about when you say that? I think this episode actually would be very helpful for you to start getting idea of what we need. Hmm. Um, so let's talk about just a few of their things about kind of, yeah, the rise of the megachurch, which is the, you know, which Rick Warren is kind of the face of, right? that the mega church is kind of almost synonymous with life in the suburbs, right? People are used to driving to places they like for brands they like, right? Just like Peter said, you go to Saddleback, if you're like, I want the kind of Jesus church thing, right? There's this brand, there's this idea. Um, there are communities in a box, right? We're all disconnected. I was just driving through some suburbs yesterday. and It's just freaked me out. The streets are empty. Where are you guys? I've been, you know, Michael knows I've lived in <laughs> countries around the world. It is not like that in any, in that is an, um, that is a suburb thing. Mm-hmm. Um, pastors can know the demographics, right? They can know exactly who's there and who to market to. Um, and so I, the one thing they didn't mention, and I don't know how much you guys have heard about this, but the, there was a, there was a real push um, by certain missiologists that they believe that to reach the future of America we needed about 40 megachurches throughout the country and that, you know, we needed them to rise up kind of regionally and that these kind of big box megachurches would uh, would reach the world. What do you guys give me your thoughts on just the kind of basics of the megachurch model, um, this kind of stuff before we before we listen to early Driscoll. We want to give Driscoll his due. We're going to let Driscoll criticize seeker sensitive churches for us before uh, we get too far into this. But what do you guys think about Mega church seeker sensitive that movement.
1: Yeah, so I mean, I guess uh, it's you know pretty broad. You know, when we're talking about mega churches, you know, theoretically, you can have a, a mega church um, simply because of its size. That isn't quite the same as you know uh, a saddleback or uh, Willow Creek, um, but uh, it does seem like I can think of in you know uh, in the Midwest hearing about, um, the, the primary pastors, teachers, you know, the, the people whose books you read in the evangelical churches that I was around, uh, was almost exclusively mega church pastors. Uh, and that was pretty, I mean, pretty consistently true, uh, as I was growing up and, um, you know, I went to a seminary near Willow Creek and, uh, the, the whole of the Willow Creek model, and not just Willow Creek, but also you know um, uh, others, Harvest Bible Chapel, and and uh, places like that as well. Uh, but uh, the the Willow Creek model uh, was even just you know I don't know seven years ago, six years ago, still really incredibly influential among many people that I knew uh, in that region, and it was still really the model in a lot of people's minds. And what's interesting is that even in the last several years, uh, and I don't know if it's because you know I just went a different way, and so the people I surround myself with generally are not people that are into the whole mega church thing. Generally, um, they want smaller churches. But I think it's true uh, in part culturally as well. Um, there was like the the idea of a mega church kind of reached its pinnacle, and it has been dying. Um, that's that's my assumption. Same with the the whole seeker sensitive idea. I mean that's. In a sense, I feel like that's probably been around um, for a long time, at least uh, since the Second Great Awakening. And there's like there's just elements of that kind of theological way of seeing the church that has been with us for a long time. I assume it will be with us for a while. Uh, but the distinct way of gathering such a large group of people together, usually under the lead, you know, primary leadership of one particular figure that just, you know, seems to be uh, you know, an a really impressive person, that seems to be waning. And maybe I'm wrong, but that that seems to be uh what what I see around me, at least in in those that I speak to.
2: Yeah. I mean, I I, I have a, a similar assessment. I mean, growing up in Orange County, which was mega church capital of the world for a long time. We had Crystal Cathedral with Robert Schuller, Mariners Church, which is fifteen thousand people. Uh, I think there's like ten or fifteen churches of fifteen thousand or more wow. in, the city, or in the in the county of Orange County. So that's wow. that, that the the cultural like milieu of Orange County. You, it wasn't like when you ask somebody where do you go to church, it was one of the fifteen mega churches.
1: Hmm.
2: And if it wasn't, then nobody had any idea what you were. So it was almost like an identity marker for a really long time. Um, in Orange County, because it was it was a little church culture ish in the area. Um, and and yeah, I think now it's it's both waning in, in the sense of those who are going in person um, to one of these mega churches. But they're branching out to satellite campuses and yeah. online services to a far greater degree mm-hmm. than I think a lot thought that they would. Because they, I mean, uh, Saddleback Churches had an online pastor. If I'm not mistaken, for the past ten years. Wow! Wow! Uh, I know so, and so others are, are are starting to hire those more often, and so while the in-person experience, quote unquote, might have changed, I think they're transitioning right now to a, a broad. They want a broader reach, and people, some people like it in the sense that they want to be a, a nameless, faceless person in the crowd. Um, I just want to go to church, get the message, go back home and live my life. Um, but then, like you said, I think, I think that has disaffected because cultures hit people pretty hard. Yeah. Um, asking questions, going through some revolutionary stuff that people didn't expect. People thought it was gonna be a Christian culture for a long time. And it it's changed at a rapid pace. And that has, I think really rocked a lot of people to the core who did not have a solid, um, Grounding in the church, yeah. which tends to happen in some, some, some are decent, but some, some I think are groundless, yeah. and they cater to that kind of understanding. So that was, that was kind of how I grew up in this and saw this, and especially today doing, doing some research in the area for a church. Um, yeah, that's that's a lot of what's happening. I think mm-hmm. at least in our area. I don't know about other areas, but in our area, that's that's what's happening.
0: This is this is a really good point. The the problem is when your when your culture is asking questions that have to go beyond the what we would call the lowest common denominator Christianity. Well, if we answer this question, everyone's leaving the back door. Well, that that's not very formational, right? And this is this is why there's uh, yeah so much blessing from the Reformed tradition on so many topics in so many areas is that we we can give deeper answers but still don't have to insist on you know s- purely reactionary right like answers so that's yeah. good well let's hear what uh driscoll's problem with the mega church was as he as it's well known you know he he never got into this stuff so i'm sure uh <laughs> this will be uh this will be helpful uh, my goal is not to grow Church growth is the turning of God into a product to be marketed to a customer. And the problem is, in that mindset, the customer's always what? Right. That's why you have such a hellhole in your church right now, is because everybody thinks that they're king and lord, and they're supposed to get their needs met. It's like a burger joint. They want it their way right away. So we'll let Peter say if, uh, how, how, um, how, either self-aware or lacking self-awareness. This, this clip by Driscoll was based on the the culture there. Pastor Michael, is that a, is that a legitimate critique of the seeker sensitive movement?
1: Oh, it totally is. I mean, the, the idea that the, the seeker sensitive movement was driven uh, very much so by a culture of consumerism is right. I mean, that is true. Uh, So um, the idea that I just want this particular product. I drive up. In some cases, as we, you know, here in this episode, literally just drive up <laughs> like a drive-through church, and I get what I want, and I, you know, and I move on. And so uh, that's why you do have, you know, particular churches, you know, growing to ca- cater to particular demographics because this is a this is matching a product to a particular consumer uh, kind of mentality. Um, and uh, like we talked about, I do think that that uh you you see those same elements in places like mars hill a lot of the other you know kind of young restless reformed uh larger churches uh, but it was our demographic you know like it i mean it was it was much more for uh people like us i think because i listened to you know they played on on this episode a little clip from the beginning of the hour of power coming from the crystal cathedral with. Uh, you know, what, Robert, what Shuler, was his yeah. name, Robert Schuler. Hmm. And I, I heard it and I thought that is just the lamest, you know, thing I've ever heard in my life. I would, the minute that I hear this, I'm turning it off. If it's on the radio, if it's on the TV, I don't care. Like that's so lame. Uh, and yet it obviously, you know, uh, struck a chord with a lot of people. Um, and so I definitely think that we were just the wrong demographic for that stuff. And so, uh, they were trying to, uh, match, match the product to consumer of a new generation.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So Peter, how, 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 um, how, how does, how does Mars Hill hold up against that criticism, that scathing criticism from Driscoll of the mega church and the seeker sensitive movement?
2: Yeah, I think it depends on and how, and how Driscoll defined the, the questions that culture was asking and how to answer the questions that culture was asking. Hmm. Um, and the way Driscoll took it, especially, especially knowing his context in Seattle, uh, Seattle, Washington, which was at the time, and it may still be, was the least church city in the nation. Um, And so he made a big point of that. I mean, to give him credit where credit's due, he knew the heck out of Seattle and he knew the people, he knew their sin problem. He knew what they were going through. He knew, I mean, he, he knew it. And, we read that if, if there's anything that we read and we studied at Marseille as interns it was cultural studies mm. uh, that was the big thing that was when they sent out church interns to for church for church planters uh, it wasn't really theologically heavy it was culturally heavy and so we we knew culture inside and out but the thing that we really knew how to do was we knew how to bash them we didn't necessarily know how to build them back up we knew how to bash them and so he he took a at least from, from my perspective and a lot of, I think a lot of people's perspective, he took, he took what his understanding, I, I think I agree, which is the church generally just doesn't associate with culture. There's no cultural interaction in the sense of this is where culture's at. Here's what the gospel says. And here's how these two don't disagree or don't agree. Um, he was like, no, 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 what we're going to do is we're going to take culture head on exactly what they think and then show them not necessarily where the gospel applies or a christian worldview applies Mm, mm. um differently and so yeah i think it depends on what driscoll is answering my my guess is driscoll is answering we are going to react not against culture but against how the other churches don't interact with culture
0: sure yeah
2: so that was that was my impression
0: yeah no i think so and i think the like right the key you know one of the the big line because it's and it is such a thing that is it is a it's a, again, he is in all of the times Michael and I have discussed him before this podcast came out and after is no doubt he's culturally astute, no doubt yeah. that is just such a clear um right when we did we did a we did a a reaction to him on the Steven Crowder show, right? The guy knows woke Christianity is going off is going over this edge, like he knows these things are going and he's already getting himself ready to be ready to lead the parade out as this stuff goes out right so he 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 knows and i think right one of the the things you can just hear is like i don't want to grow no obviously he he did and and right but but he knows enough to know that i don't want to hear like i'm right i because the millennials gen z we don't want to hear the it's all about success it's all about you know like that that doesn't that totally rings hollow to us those kinds of uh as michael said and as peter said those perspectives on culture those don't those don't make any sense to us anymore and so he knows to uh he knew to jump out of those things so yeah as we as we go forward there are a few components of the kind of the uh of the mega church model that they point out so one is this idea that we can target a church for youth culture Or a church for the anti-church, as Peter said, Marcel was right. I'm going to just show these guys. I'll include it in the show notes. They also mention Saddleback Sam. I don't know if you guys have seen Saddleback Sam before, but oh yeah, uh, good. Pastor Michael's looking in shock and horror. I guess he hasn't. Uh, If you if you, uh, I'll I'll include this in the show notes. But it uh, Rick Warren when he said someone was going to plant a church, you need to create the profile of the person. That you're trying to plant a church for. And it is a guy with a cheesy old cell phone. He's well educated. He likes his job. He likes where he lives. He thinks he's enjoying his life. He's smug. He prefers informal things. He's overextended in time and money, right? And that these are
1: the kinds of things you need to know to plant a church. So he's also got a pager and super <laughs> old cell phone, cell yeah. phone with a little antenna on there. I mean, this he's is got great. Two forms of communication instead of one.
0: That's right. Yeah. And he's skeptical of organized religion. As all well-educated, uh, <laughs> satisfied exactly. people are. So this kind of idea of, you know, let's let's stick with this specific one that I think it would be closer to our listeners. This, this idea of church for the unchurched or church for the anti-church. What kind of pressure is that, right? What are the positive, what's the negative of thinking through church this way? Because I think it's still a way, right? Like, you know, we, this is still a way people talk right? And Cosper, I don't think we'll get to the clip, but he comes up with that. Hey, downstream of this, you need to know Acts 29, right? A lot of the planting networks in the Southern Baptist convention, there are plenty of reformed church planning folks that still talk this way. So what do you guys think of this? What, what positive or negative pressures does talking about having a church for the unchurched, you know, what does that lead to? What, where is it right? What do you guys think?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, trying to put the best possible spin on it, um, I would say, like, obviously this, you know, hopefully in, again, an ideal sense, this is coming out of a heart to want people who do not know Christ to come to know Christ, right? So uh, you think maybe, well, how do we do that? Well, we got to get them in the church doors. Okay, well, how do we get them in the church doors? Some other way, you know, uh, whether that be, you know, we have, uh, you know, really exciting music, or we do these, you know, fun events, or it be some kind of social work or something like we have to do something that will get people that do not respond to the gospel in the church doors with the hope that they do respond to the gospel. Um, so that would be my like, uh, you know, trying to put the most positive spin on it uh, that I can. Yeah, I think, yeah, in a sense,
2: similar to the positive being you're you're always aware as a church that new people are coming, and that was mm-hmm. certainly true of Mars Hill. So we absolutely knew, and I mean, we met new people every single week because people were so excited about what was happening in Mars Hill and being part of Mars Hill, that we were hyper aware that new people were coming in. Uh, and so the church, I think at times struck a really good balance between those who were churched and those who were unchurched. Mm-hmm. And they had a, a, an understanding of both of those demographics. Yeah. So I think if you want to put a really positive spin, that's, that's really what it was. Is, um, they expected new people who did not know the faith on a week in week out basis, which was great for evangelism. Uh, And they were, they were ready and they were stocked for evangelism. Uh, And in a sense, they were trained for evangelism. Most people knew the faith pretty well at Mars Hill um, because it was, it was your introduction to reform theology. And this is the stuff you were excited about. He was quoting Calvin. He was quoting Luther. And so I want to read these guys. Um, And so that was, that was helpful. Um, And then negative aspects was it was always a moving target you were never terribly sure what Mm. not church was going to look like but what worship was going to look like what the sermon was going to look like it was it was because it was so outside focused it almost felt like you weren't like you didn't know what the next service is going to be like you didn't know what was going to be talked about you didn't know really how the gospel is going to be applied throughout the sermon um and you almost felt like as a new person at times i'm forgotten about mm-hmm. and then the uh the people who are coming into the church for the first time they're the ones who are really going after which in a very real sense is the secret sensitive movement yeah um so when it was yeah. it was bad it kind of it kind of led towards that but it was it was I, I think coming i mean being in the reformed church is a healthy corrective where we tend to think it's it's our people who've been here for thirty years, baptized, catechized into the church. We forget about outside people a lot of the time, and it's a healthy corrective, I think, on that as well.
0: Yeah, I I, I do think that um, that there are uh, yeah helpful ways to think. Right, I think the idea that people we should be aware, right, the idea of awareness of an outsider there, right. Even though I think there are, uh, this all leads to a lot of problems, right? I think that again, we fundamentally don't un- right when when the when we say, well, this is a for evangelism, right? Like Rick Warren in his book, book, "Purpose Driven Church," says the church is not for the Christian, yeah. And then he doesn't say it's for the worship of God. He says it's for lost people. He says we have other time, right? Th- there's a misunderstanding of of what we're doing in church, but. Right. It doesn't mean that we're here to worship. It doesn't mean we can't be welcoming. We can't help people try and help bring people in to understand what we're doing. Right. Like that's all a good awareness. And, you know, Peter, that is a good corrective. But what we don't get is right. And and again, Michael and I, right. We uh, we make jokes about the the truly reformed, right. That they often don't seem, mm-hmm. uh, which is why, again, we will we'll promote your podcast here. We love that there are people like Hey, let's bring it all down. Let's bring it to people so that they can get it so that they can get on it. Right. That that's yeah. good. But yeah, the, the church is not about is not in the end is, is not for the unchurched.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And there should be, I mean, so the reality is you want to strike the balance where like, I want uh, people who come from outside of our church when they come in, I want them to feel very welcome. And uh, it was actually one of the things that struck uh me and my wife most when we walked into our church is that, you know, within the first, you know, a uh, couple of minutes, we had several like really important, deep conversations with people that we had never met. It was great. Um, so like, I want people to walk in and feel very welcomed, feel like they can come, you know, I, I want that welcome feeling. At the same time, if you're an unbeliever, if you come to the church, there should be elements of what's going on that you don't feel comfortable with to a certain point. You know? So like there should be a certain barrier to entry in a sense um, that you can be a part of this, but also you, know, you need to be careful. And when you think about you know, um, times like uh, you know, early on in the history of the church, uh, in the first couple hundred years, you have times when, um, especially because of persecution, uh, but you, I mean, the church is growing at a pretty rapid rate. And yet uh, you know, those who would want to uh, join the church would have to take at least a year before they're baptized. And before that point, they wouldn't even be allowed to see the Lord's Supper. People would enter into an an inner room to take the Lord's Supper, apart from any kind of proselytes. And so um, like that, I don't want to go back to that. You know, uh, Lord willing, we would never have to, but the idea that uh, every part of like a Sunday worship service should be directed outward is simply just not true. That The primary purpose of a Sunday morning worship is worship. It's to worship God. That's what we're doing. So we're trying to bring worship to God in a way that, uh, is satisfying to him that, you know, is done according to his word. Um, and I want everybody I know to do that, you know, like I want everybody I know and everybody I meet to be a part of that. I want to welcome people into that. Um, and at the same time, if, if they do not yet have faith in Christ, I don't want them to come in and be like, oh yeah, I feel perfectly, you know, at home with all of this. Uh, you probably shouldn't, you know?
2: Yeah, that's that was and it goes back to a lot of the cultural understanding of Marcel where we were so so stinking cultural focused that we read the church through the lens of the culture. Mm-hmm. not. And I just I had no I had no understanding or no categories for seeing, oh, the, the, the Bible gives me categories for what the church is, and how to structure the church and what the church is for versus the bible is within the church but we really do the church based off what culture it was. Our, i mean our music was ridiculous if they, i mean if you look at elevation you look at all these big churches i mean that marcel had the talented most talented musicians we had no the doubt. most talented production crew we had the most talented everything and so all of church was how do we take all of these composite parts that we're the best at and very internally we like we, we knew we their best and people wanted to follow mars hill and the way that mars hill was doing church who weren't part of more reformed circles um and we knew that we knew that we were setting the trend so we knew what we were doing was to we copied by everybody else but yeah. that was to the expense of what yeah. the scripture says yeah all that all that stuff and,
0: and i and i do think that there is right one one sense yeah no i mean pastor michael and i have both uh, you know cop to the fact that as as guys from a distance and who visited right we were like no this is the way what they're doing right they've got it <laughs> yeah, yeah. they've got it right we and this is the way yeah exactly yeah. um but right that I, I you know i often struggle you know and this is a this is a this is kind of a live issue with our you know our axe 29 friends with a lot of our friends who are kind of in the calvinist circles i'm like hey guys it is okay if there are things that are done in church that an outsider immediately doesn't understand, mm-hmm. just like the fact that my kid has to learn math before they can like, right. Michael Horton kind of makes this point all the time. It is okay that this happens sometimes. Now we should be the, the point is though, right. If that is the case, you need to be aware of where that's happening. You need to understand, right. You need to be uh hoping to explain it, but right? we It is okay if it happens sometimes. And that obviously is kind of the like, that is anathema to the seeker-sensitive model and even the reformed-ish seeker-sensitive model. So um, let's play a clip. I think I've got the right clip of the kind of one other really big component needed for the seeker-sensitive church to work. And then I think, Michael, you'll have to go. And Peter and I, we will kind of just do the uh, um, analysis of how do we know God's working in the church? What's the church supposed to be like? So if you will, you just log out and you have to go Mike. So All right. here we go. Literally.
1: I got seized by the beauty and power and potential of what a church could become. And I walked away from the well laid out script for my life and swore to myself, I would not go to my grave without at least trying to see if what happened in Acts chapter two could be replicated in the 20th century.
0: Willow has to reach its full potential because it's the hope of the world. Each of its
1: attenders really... The
0: grandiosity of... So that's a clip of Bill Hybel's and Mike Cosper is playing him because he says the other essential element for the mega church is the vision casting leader. And that is a that's a kind of a terminology that is just everywhere now. So is that the pastor's job, guys? Tell tell me what you think about the vision casting leader. Yeah,
1: you know, I want to say quick. So, I mean, I, I think there's certain elements of the idea of, you know, vision casting is such a weird way to say it. Um, uh, planning—you know, like like planning, or like you know, seeing. Hey, there are some things we need to grow in. There's areas that we need to work on. Like that is the job of a pastor to look out at the flock, to be able to say, okay, you know, there are things that we're falling short in that we want to grow in. There are things that we need that we don't have, and and to think in that way. Um, so to a certain extent, uh, I think that's good. When it you know takes on like the you know tech entrepreneur kind of side of things, it can get a little uh, out of control. And I just want to say quick. Uh, so I. I am, you know, uh, I have been through most of my life in circles where there is significant influence from Bill Hybels and Willow Creek. Obviously that's waning now with all of his scandals and stuff. Uh, But uh, that like his whole way of doing things was so big. I've been to Willow Creek, I've been to their leadership conference and it was strange just to go and to go to a church that was, you know, like as big as, you know, bigger than any mall around where I grew up. And like, you know, had multiple waterfalls, if I remember right, you know, waterfall fountains in there, you know, big lobby area. Um, It it was very strange. Um, And still, like, there were enough people around me that, like, you know, were a part of the church, came to faith through the church you know, they were like, they, they grew up in it, whatever it was, or just like when I was at seminary, there was a lot of guys where this was their model of ministry. It was, it was to be like Bill Hybels and and do church the way Willow Creek did. Um, And I just never listened to a lot of Bill Hybels. When I hear the stuff that was played on this podcast, I cannot think of it being anything other than a cult. And I know that it wasn't like full bore cult. It wasn't like, you know, uh, you know, everybody has to do everything for the dear leader, that sort of thing. But man, like there's a lot of elements that like if I would have gone there and heard this kind of stuff regularly, I would have thought this is like a cult. This is like some guy that, you know, uh, thinks that everything is here and it's all about this place and 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 this purpose that he's cast. And so uh, anyway, I just wanted to say that, uh, you know, and. It's just what, what I thought when I first heard that. But Pastor Michael, Willow is the hope of the world. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. And no wonder people growing up around that just thought, hey, this is how we have to do things. You know, this is, this is the way it has to be done. Yeah. And it's, it's not too dissimilar from, from Mars Mar-
2: so, Hill. Like what I was saying before, um, we knew and we told each other, everyone's following Mars so, Hill. Those who are non-denominational, whatever it may be. Um, they're following the the scripts that Mars Hill is writing and we like the fact that people were following us in a real in a very rural sense it was we were following Driscoll we were following what he wanted to do the vision he was casting for us and it, it from what you were saying too, the under, our, our understanding of the the very nature of what church is because we weren't uh, under the confessions because we didn't Uh, see how the bible prescribed worship it was how driscoll prescribed worship and that's what we did and that's what the church became and the church was doing for us which made him so vital for our mission and the vision that he was casting that was our confession in a very real sense because we had nothing else
0: i think peter there's it is no surprise churches that do not have a um a very explicit confession of faith often need a church vision statement or a yeah. vision casting leader. Absolutely. Right. Likewise, they all need a principle of worship, right? Yep. And, and so
2: top bottom. Yeah. He he but, gave us the principle of worship. He gave us the confessions. He gave us the, the Driscoll confession of faith and we followed it to the deep. And I think and, a lot of other people too, in a, I mean, a very real sense, Acts twenty nine. It was Mars Hill was the confession. Let's copy this as many times as we possibly can.
0: By the way, Acts twenty nine pastors, we're still looking for you guys to come on. We'll uh, we'll talk to you about that sometime. But <laughs> I was no, part of Acts twenty nine for yeah seven years. But think about it, right? It's it's just like uh, Pastor Michael's PCA church. If we suddenly said, okay, we're getting rid of the Westminster, we're getting rid of what you guys order worship with, their church would collapse. Right, it it would not be a surprise. There would someone would be coming in to preach oh, the last yeah, sermon.
2: Ab- absolutely, and the the joke that I tell is when Driscoll wasn't preaching, we had had maybe half of the church show up.
0: Sure, sure. And
2: yeah. it was obviously there's there's more to it than that because we had many other pastors part of the church, and even when our church pastors because we had a satellite beamed into our church. In um, Huntington Beach and all the other churches had the satellites we didn't have actually a preaching pastor other than Driscoll and when our campus pastor preached a half of the church would show up versus when Driscoll would preach on the satellite the whole church showed up which yeah. at the time didn't make any it was like oh this is a, of course but now it's like are you kidding me
0: yeah yeah um I think that that is that's so interesting but I I think that this is, oh man, I lost my train of thought. This is, yeah, I, I, it's just so fascinating. we we're at this, that this point. Yeah, no, man, I'm, I'm, I just, it's, it's wild. So yeah. I think, I think what, where we'll go from here is let's think through, you know, the, the kind of analysis and criticism this podcast gives the church and, and maybe, Um, Because I actually think, right, if this podcast just existed to say, hey, in evangelicalism, we tend to promote ability, charismatic personalities over character. If that's all this exists to say, okay, that's fine. But that's actually a fairly limited critique. And I think that, as you're saying, Peter, the Reformed confessions and the scriptures give us a lot more, a lot more foundation and a lot more ability to, to, to look at this critically and mm-hmm. to criticize it more than just like what makes sense culturally. Cause if yeah. we say, what was Chris, what is Driscoll criticizing the seeker sensitive movement for? Hey guys, you, you don't know what's coming. You don't get what culturally is going on, which he was right, mm-hmm. but that's still not a substantial critique. No, because no. in 10 years, I don't know. Eventually you know driscoll's smart but eventually someone's gonna be able to look at what he's doing and go dude you don't get it Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. right um and so i think that this is this is why we want to this is why we want to think through this critique and so i want to listen to um the the genius on these things himself ed stetzer and we'll listen to his clip about the positives and maybe the downsides of using the mega church and then we'll discuss this and just a couple more things before we uh finish this episode
1: you'll find that as successful as you might be in one place with one approach by design it won't work in lots of other places and it may not translate across generations here's ed stetzer
3: the seeker movement was the built on the idea that if you did church if you updated the church you spruced up the building you spiced
0: up the message and you sped up the music that that would engage baby boomers and it did and it worked i mean we can actually see numerically the 80s being a, a bump in attendance in churches and then what happens is everyone who sort of is going to be moved by that is already you know, they all got the mailer they all you know got the invite from their neighbors so they're in or they're not for many gen xers so ed stetzer says the megachurch model worked we know the numbers increased but I think Mike Cosper's statement before that, in my mind, I think kind of negates it working. And, 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 and you can tell me what you think, Peter. When he says, what we were doing doesn't work across, in all places, across generations, what, what is the problem with that? What's the problem with a view of the church that says, well, we've got this church and it's going really well here in the 80s, but we know it doesn't work if we move it to a, maybe a non Middle class white culture, or we try and move it to anywhere else in the world. What's the problem with that view of the church?
2: Yeah, I think there's, I mean, maybe even an underlying assumption that each church is culturally situated. And so mm. it speaks into just that culture at just that time because only concerned with just that culture, which there's a sense that you should be concerned with your culture in your cultural context. But you've so, in a lot of these cases, in Driscoll's case, in a lot of these cases they've so transformed that church to look like that culture, that local culture, where you can't, you know, you can't multiply that church because it doesn't work anywhere else. Um, because it's, it takes, it's, it's, a, it's bottom line assumption that you speak to that culture and that culture alone, and that's the foundation of where your church grows up through. Um, and then even what Stetzer says about the 80s at working, um, there's been, I think some of your listeners might know With this post mortem kind of context, is Willow Creek had a huge, maybe 20 or 30 year survey on the health of their congregation. And it was the more often that their congregation actually came to church, the less satisfied they were spiritually. Hmm. And it was this inverse product of the more you went to their church, the less satisfied you were. So it wasn't the growth of the church that he should have been worried about, it was the depth of the church being more worried about being understood uh, understanding of the faith understanding what the purpose of the church is what the gospel is doctrines of the faith so they grew so fast with or uh, um, across the land and did not grow at all depth wise and they had a great understanding of the culture but when that's your baseline assumption and you're not just looking at the bible in our context the psalter you look at the bread and the wine it's easy in a in a I guess a fleshly sense to translate that to different cultures. As long as you have a translated Bible, you have a translated Psalter, you can move that anywhere you want to. And it makes sense to people in other cultures. Cause you don't have to say, here's this culture now transplanted here. Let's figure out this culture and where they need it, where you do do that stuff. Um, But the simplistic approach of the means of grace, that's it's you can't beat that for how culturally sensitive because it takes its root problem versus saying the root is the culture itself.
0: No, totally. It is, and it, I've mentioned it here on the show, it is weird in the different countries and cultures I've been to watch people try and replicate an American yeah. worship service. But but right, the, the fundamental theological problem with the statement like, yeah, we're doing church, it, you know, we know it wouldn't work really in any other decade in history in any other place other than Orange (laughs) County yeah that you know I love the 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 simple the means of grace you're talking about but we also believe the church is Catholic we believe we are united to the universal church right and of course there are because the circumstances of worship are as diverse as the people of God there is you know I'm I'm not going to know the language I'm not going to there are going to be things I don't understand when I go to churches or if I showed up in the 1500s or the 400s but the idea that the, my church practice has nothing to do with what they would be doing, one, that's concerning. Because if we are all ruled by the scriptures and ruled by the similar means of grace, there should, they should recognize us if they yeah. could speak our language. And, and, right, and, and again, I, I don't want to make too big of a point of this, but, but right seeker-sensitive churches don't do the Lord's Supper for this reason because they can't do it at that level no they
2: can't no which is yeah why they do it quarterly they do it once every four or once every three months they let everybody know and it becomes a big a big act and they do it a a vastly different way they do
0: it in the small groups right they have to come up with one of these
2: done by an elder somebody ordains um and even to what you're saying about the the catholicity of the church it it denies the just the his the historic nature of the church. This has been done for a lot longer than you've been alive. Right. A lot longer before you, and it's been done at kind of in a certain way uh, with some nuances. But in a certain way, for a really long time, we have we have documented evidence from the second century of a liturgy, and it looks not too dissimilar from what we see in the uh, Reformed confessions with with Luther with Calvin. It's it's not that different than what they're doing, and you can see. Oh, they're they're not trying to create something new. Yeah, they're nuancing it, but they're they're doing what's been done for a long time. So there, there tends to be a little bit of historical ignorance, as if evangelicalism started in 1930 or
0: whatever the year uh, what, may have been. And and the criticism you and I are offering of these mega church models is actually the precise criticism the reformers were offering of the Roman Catholic Church. Why are you doing all these new things? Yeah. It, you know, because and and that's and that's what it was. And I think the other thing that I want to ask you: the Willow Creek metric is how how many how many campuses, how many people? Right? They're they're purely numbers, right? And then we have in this episode, we listen to the folks uh, Chuck Smith, uh, who's also from California. We listen to some mm-hmm. clips from John Wimber, and right, they don't they're not so much as in, they're obviously concerned with numbers, but they're concerned with ecstatic, charismatic experience. So yeah. if you ask, if you ask Rick Warren or if you ask Bill Hybels, well, what's the sign the spirit is moving? What's the sign that our church is blessed? They're going to say, look at how many people. If you ask, at least at that time, Chuck Smith and John Wimber, what's the sign that God is moving? Their answer is charismatic experiences. What what do you think? Can you can you help us think through a more maybe a because everyone at some point recognizes this feels imbalanced right? Mm-hmm. If you go to one of these churches and you're either just trying to get more and more people there, like you said, it feels like I'm forgotten. Or if you're at a church where, they're, where you're trying to have another, even more cathartic experience, it's, it's burnout eventually. So can, yeah. can you offer us a better, um, uh, from, the, uh, from the scripture, from the Reformed tradition, something, a better foundation, a better balance of, what, of, of knowing God is working, of, of God's blessing?
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I, think, I think we're given a few examples from, from Scripture itself and a few, a few from Jesus' mouth himself. Uh, I mean, especially we, we think so much about the Great Commission of, oh, go, 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 get out there. And we forget when he tells us to go, he says, go, teach them, baptize them in this faith um, because he has power and dominion over all things so that they would follow his commandments. So that we would follow the ordinances, the things that he's shown us, the things that we've been taught. And it's it's a deep understanding of the gospel of his son, Jesus Christ. And the, the more we get to know Jesus, who he is, what he's done for us, the depth of our sin, the extent of his sacrifice on the cross and what it's done for our sins, uh, which will lead to expansion of the church, which will lead to expansion of our witness because of what he's done for us. And it's something that I've noticed in the Reformed church, in, in in contradistinction to kind of broadly evangelical churches which i have never seen or never experienced people with such maturity of the faith both in understanding of the faith and a joy in the faith mm. where they have a, a just a, a ridiculously deep understanding of the faith of the doctrine of faith uh and not just obviously, not just the knowledge of it but like a, a very true like eternalized understanding of the faith Uh, and they can describe to you what is the law what is the gospel what are these various ordinances um, and then tends to be outside the reformed church where it's a little more emotional based or i felt the spirit working or the spirit told me this morning and i want to tell you what he told me this morning or as like you said one of my professors dr horton will always talk about what was what was your liver shiver this morning what did you feel good about this morning um, or how do you how do you feel during the worship service? How did make you feel about God? How did make you feel about the world? Um, whereas we have an objective faith that's given us an objective gospel, um, historically grounded gospel that doesn't just open up possibility for things, but actually did something for you, did something for who you are, where you're going. And that's that's something I've seen missing. Where we're so focused on multiplication that we were like, what are we trying to multiply? Are we multiplying the gospel or are we multiplying in a a sense surface level stuff that can get struck down at any moment in time when our our faith is in a crisis or when we're not sure what we believe or a a non-believer asks us a question that we can't answer. Life hits us, um, depression hits us, child loss hits us, whatever it may be, we're not grounded in the faith over and over again be reminded of the gospel where the preached sermon is if you're not preaching the gospel you're not preaching the sermon you're not preaching jesus as as god's messiah who's died for you you're not preaching the sermon so there's there's so much behind this um coming from that perspective and now being in the reformed church for a couple of years now where um yeah it's it's fantastic sending out certain missionaries we should send out missionaries a lot of churches are they measure their metrics based off how many missionaries they sent, how many churches they planted, how many people they've discipled, which is great. But man, if we're not if we're not giving them the, the meat of the gospel, um, what are we sending them out with? What are we sending these missionaries out with? What are we multiplying our church with? And and are they prepared?
0: Yeah. Well, Peter, I, I think that is a perfect place to leave the episode because what I wanted to show is right. Um, right? Driscoll comes along and even in Mike Cosper says, right, we came along and we kind of were asking ourselves, what could church be? We had these big ideas and they're criticizing it as you pointed out culturally. And then even this episode, what, are, what is it criticizing about the mega church, right? It's criticizing uh, maybe abuses of power or these kinds of implementations. But I think you've shown, I think this conversation has shown that there is way more resources in the scripture there's way more. There's a way deeper consideration that we need to go to to really understand the church. So, thanks for joining us. Make sure, hey, can you tell people where to find the Guilt, Grace, Gratitude podcast? Anything about it before we leave? Yeah,
2: we're on all of your average podcast catchers: Apple, Amazon, Spotify. Guilt, Grace, Gratitude podcast. We're on Twitter and Instagram at Guilt Grace Pod. So, at Guilt Grace Pod. You can find Nick. I'm not on Instagram or social media or anything. So I I live vicariously through our podcast. So I don't I don't care if I don't care if you don't know who I am. Uh, you can yeah you can listen to that stuff. Um, but yeah, we uh, produce episodes Mondays, Thursdays,
0: and Saturdays. So call us crazy, but that's that's what we do. Dude, I, I call you crazy. You guys are the hardest working podcast in the reformed <laughs> world right now. So it's great. Uh, there's a lot of they they cover a lot of stuff. They interview a lot of great reform thinkers. I think uh, you will appreciate it if you if you've enjoyed the conversation today. Thank you, Peter Bell, for coming on the podcast, and thank you everybody. Our last Mars Hill episode. We got our first episode that went over a 1,000. So we're going to keep doing them as long as you guys enjoy them. We've got some other topics coming up soon too. So check us out. Follow us on social media as we try and get to know our audience later.